I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. Hi folks, I hope you're having a good day today. Let me be the first to welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we begin, I must know I'm not a doctor psychiatrist. If your son or daughter needs to be diagnosed with autism, please see a physician. Only speak based on my experiences. I also not on the right to the answer on after. They are both found on www.archive.org. I also have a mission today. I'd like to review with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks and Rolls is to take the stigma off of autism and other conditions that may think are disabilities. People on the spectrum are not broken and do not need to be fixed. Those who have conditions or abilities not to be pitied, there's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some paid for the following. It would be my pleasure to express my thanks to Duke Energy. It is Bruce Calloway's job to provide useful and reliable energy to your home. Stop by your local Duke Energy office today. Also, we must get one of Stonebolt. They offer resources and support for differently abled individuals. The oldest and largest agency of its kind in South Central Indiana it was founded in 1958. Stone Belt goes beyond providing services to its customers. Many lives have been changed because of this organization. The Green County General Hospital also deserves recognition for Grace Cross. It is a top healthcare facility in Linton, Indiana. You need to check out this five-star rated hospital. However, that is not all. Let me thank our sponsors for making the gala such a success. I'd like to thank Pop Dog Pet Retreat, Battle of the Lights, Wellspring Paint Solutions, Fowler Pumpkin Patch, Benny Flynn, Place for Purpose or Marcy Cook, Duke Energy, UDWI REMC, AM Vets, Indiana Oxygen, Indiana Family to Family about special kids, Stone Belt, Night Owl Promotions, Life Design, Rockman, Autism Parenting Magazine, Actress Sarah Tomko, Rock On Music Incorporated, GM Charity for Kids, City of Bloomington, Robestrian Church, Bloomfield, Indiana Women's Group, Reach High Consulting and Therapy, Hands and Autism, Office Easel Promotions, Living Well Home Care in Mitchell, Indiana, Brian Bogert, CPA Steve Miller Tax Service, Jim Doering, The Bluebird, Party City, Casa Owen County, and Boston Scientific. The help they provided for our gala event was appreciated. And there are some people I like to thank. First, I want to thank Frank Mallet and Chris for service for taking the time to talk to us. This place helps those with autism through the love of dogs. Be sure to see what they are all about. Secondly, I want to thank Autism Parenting Magazine Summit for letting me have a booth space. While I could not be there, I was excited that they used my information. Also, I want to thank my past three guests, Adam Milchip, along with his student Harvey, and C202, A Different Way of Understanding by TWS Sports, and Jack Mason Goodall, and for him, C203 playing around with Jack Mason Golf for more information. But what amazing guests and human beings. Be sure to check out both their episodes. And last Sunday, I was interviewed yet again by WTHI 10 by our friend Kit Hanley. Thanks again, Kit. It was a great plug-in for the gala we did. In that same week, I also spoke to Autism Speaks Club at Purdue University. Thanks, Molly Green, for inviting me. I had a blast, and I hope you and the people listening took something from me. Plus, for the first time, we had our first in-person board meeting along with the Autism Rocks and Rolls Corporation. I have to thank the board when I can. You all have a special spot in my heart. Last week, I also did a clubhouse about connecting with your inner superpowers. It was a great club to participate in. The second to last person I must thank is Lee Midlane for allowing me to create an inspiring message for her team. I hope they learn to run their own inspiring business as I have. And finally, I must thank the podcast that I've been on since the last episode. I was on Comfy with Carly podcast with Carly Sightreet, the Rise Up Butter podcast with Amy Gearhart, 
the SCINN South Central Indiana News Network podcast with my friend Skip Daly, the Sprouting Minds podcast with Andy Ahmet, and the Podcaster Stories podcast with Danny Brown. What cool podcast. Be sure to listen to these amazing podcasts. Now, today's episode is different because this is not much as someone with autism, but more of someone with an inspiring story. The guest we have today is Sonny Von Cleveland, who I met while advertising for my show. Sonny for sure has a story because from age 5 to 10, he was sexually abused and served time in prison for 18 years. But he meeting with a man while in solitary confinement changed his way of life as he runs a cat business and now has a life from London. He is living proof that anyone can change their way of life. Let's welcome Sonny Von Cleveland to Autism Rock and Roll. Sonny, what's up, my man? Hey, hey, thank you so much for having me, man. Of course, what buddy. And an I'm amazing, glad, I'm glad you're on. Show. I'm really you glad so you're much. on. I think this will be a good episode. I'm hoping that we'll try to change some lives out there. Let's do our best. That's all we do can it. do. So my first question to you is, what does being a sexual abuse survivor and a reformed person mean to you? Being a sexual abuse survivor to me means taking your power back and not being a victim anymore. You are a victim to be sure, but it's a process of healing and self-empowerment to overcome it. I was molested by four different men for those five years, and it was pretty traumatic, but there's a healing source within all of us that can help us overcome anything. And I like to try to help people find and discover that inner source. It's hard though, sometimes to find that inner source, but Sonny, I'm glad to say I have found my inner source and whether it may be broken or not, it's an inner source, but it's my inner source that I only know about. Facts, that place that exists in here between you and God. That's it. Whatever God you got have, whatever you call them, however you live your life, there's that one space that we all have that nobody else can get to. Nobody else can see, hear, smell, touch. Nobody can get there. And in that space is where manifestation begins. It's where we learn to control our life and our destiny and take what is rightfully ours, which is a happy life. Correct. We all deserve a happy life, no matter who you are. Now, what were your initial thoughts when the sexual abuse stop and when you decide that you were going to do good in society? It was a long process to be sure. I told my mother that I was being molested when I was 10. And that's when it stopped from that point. I told her my uncle was molesting me. And then I had broke down and told her about the other men, her ex-boyfriends and a friend of the family. And she called the police. And it was a long process of going through local social therapists, the therapists, you know, and I don't even know what they were thinking, but they just have you recreate and reenact things with dolls and try to give you some advice that I think that they learned from a book and they don't really understand what it feels like to be a victim. So it's hard for a victim to relate to somebody who's never been through it and try to find a source of healing from that individual. And it didn't do me any good. I started getting into trouble when I was seven years old. I got convicted of a felony when I was seven for breaking into a church. And I fell in love with the attention from the police officers because these were men that didn't want to hurt me. And they just wanted what was best for me. And so the only way to keep their attention is to keep breaking the law and keep getting into trouble. And that eventually landed me in prison when I was 16 years old. The court systems got tired of me. And It was in that stage, going through that process of over a course of 18 years, that I learned self-healing, self-realization through study of psychology and reading self-help books nonstop. I did 19 months 
in solitary confinement. And that's where I met Mallory Bay. And he introduced me to self-help. And it was in that moment. So it wasn't until I was 27, 28, 29 years old, maybe. I was 2008 is when that happened. I was born in 81. So 29, 27 years old. And that's when I really started to study it. And that's when I learned to let things go to stop blaming myself because I was the victim, but I had lived a whole life of thinking that I was somehow complicit in my own molestation. And that's, I think, is the hardest part for people to get over. For people that have been victims of sexual abuse, they blame themselves. They think that there was something they have done to maybe attract their predator. And that's not the case. So it takes a long time, but there's an easier path. And I think that's what needs to be displayed to sexual abuse victims is so that they can understand how to overcome within themselves as opposed to some therapist that reads about it in a book. Right, because I believe sometimes that, and no offense to therapists, I think there's sometimes people who can benefit from therapy. We're sure. Just, we're both not one of them, but I think sometimes sure. therapists just kind of pick the bone and nag. Like, pick, right. pick, pick, pick. Right, they read it from a book and they say, well, it's got to be one of these things because that's what's outlined in the book. It's got to be one of these. And they are so far off from the mark. They're so far off from the target because you didn't get that education in school. And no offense to therapists. You were 100% right. A lot of therapists help a lot of people, but some cases, it's just not effective. And with being a victim, I think sometimes you kind of been a victim in your own way. And that makes any sense because I've been a victim in my own way. I mean, I haven't been sexually assaulted or been to prison as say, but I've been excluded, stereotyped. Sure. People, society's been picking my butt down like like they've been kind of picking your butt down. And that's why we're here together. And I'm very appreciative of that. But I just think sometimes for me, it's hard to understand what's to go through with molestation, which I do want to, I know I don't do this typically, but I want to apologize for that because no child should have to expose their bodies to an uncomfortable situation. 100%. But you know, I look back and I've learned, I do a lot of studying of the Stoics like Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus in Seneca. And there's a term called amor fati, which is to basically love the process, love everything that every, ever happens to you because it shapes who you are. And here's one of my cats. My One of my cats is joining me. We'll get into that later. But you love the process. So I'm thankful to my perpetrators. I'm thankful to them for what's happened to me because I feel it's my calling to endure these things so that I can help other people in my lifetime. I think that's my calling in life. That's my purpose for being here is to help other people who have been through traumatic stuff realize it's not their fault and to live a happy life. Well, as a child, it's not anyone's fault. It just happened. And in a way, it kind of led to some downward spiral paths down your lifetime, but it led to some ups. It put me where I am in my life today. How do you think a reformed and a sexual abuse survivor's brain operates compared to someone who maybe hasn't gone through those scenarios? I think in a situation like that, I think they're more defensive, more guarded. I think we have a tendency to see the capability of everybody that we interact with. Like you tend to see as a child, you tend to see all men as potential predators at that point. Or if it was a female that violated you, you tend to look at, though whoever it is, you look at human beings from a more guarded perspective. You learn to go inside. For me, it was music. I would sit in closets and listen to music. That was my escape. And so I think 
the mind of somebody that's been abused sexually operates differently than someone who has because we're more guarded as to everybody we meet and we protect our feelings a lot more and we're a lot it's harder for us to trust people as opposed to somebody that's never been through it what is the most rewarding and most difficult parts of being a reformed man and a sexual abuse survivor well the most difficult part is the stigma that comes with being a sexual abuse victim that a lot of people pity you you can see it and i don't want your pity I don't need your pity. I want your awareness. That's what I want. I want to raise your awareness so that you do something because not doing something is just as bad as doing something bad. If you know something's happening and you don't do something, you don't step in and do something or say something or offer somebody some help or give somebody an outlet to seek help. It's just as bad. Correct. Um, and when I apologized to you, it was not for pity. It was because I was aware. Sure. It was never, For it sure. wasn't painful. Like, oh my God, you had to go through this? Oh, I, I'm so sorry. Uh, what can For I sure. do? It wasn't that right. at all. No doubt, no doubt. Like, and you're, I, and there's a difference between an authentic have be, apology. You have to be in that position. Right, and that comes from, I think, coming from a level playing field. Like we both have experienced something that most people don't have to go through. And that kind of puts us on a different level. But I would say the most rewarding thing is the messages that I get from people who either have left a review or have sent me a personal message saying, you saved my life. You changed the way I think and the way I see things. And I'm free on my, on the inside now. And you've helped me with that. I was going to kill myself or I was lost. I didn't know what to do. And you've helped me. That is hands down the most rewarding thing that I've ever experienced in my life. And it's because I was victimized. And so if I hadn't been victimized, I would have never gotten to feel that wonderful feeling of saving somebody's life. And what it sounds like to me, and this is a song reference, because I like you, I'm a song geek. They felt like a free bird almost when they, <laughs> right. when they uh, found their inner self, because I wasn't a free bird. I was, my wings were closed. I was the ex, but then when my wings opened, I became the free bird. I was able to fly. I became right. a and, and a star. Right. And look at you now, man. You're taking over the world, man. You're out showing people what's up. I'm I trying to it. at least, but thank you. You're doing a great job. Again, thank you. Now, what advice would you give to prisoners and anyone who has been sexually abused? That's two different demographics, to be honest. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's a, it's a more of a complex answer, I think. Well, let's do a two-parter then. Let's make it a little simple for you. For sexual abuse victims, my primary advice would be to know that you are special and that you are put here for a purpose, and that every piece of tragedy that you endure in life, and this goes for everybody that's been through any type of victimization, your scars are your badges. Your scars give you a degree in learning so that you can teach somebody else because you can get through it. That's the first thing I want you to know is you can and will get through it, but use it. Use your experience to help somebody else that makes the pain that you've had to endure worth it to help somebody else. And so that's what I would say to a sexual abuse victim is use what's happened to help somebody else. Use your scars to help somebody. And for inmates and convicts, ex-convicts that get out, it's never too late to start your life. And it's never over. I got out when I was 35 years old and started my life. It's never too late. It's about desire and passion and an inner will to be something greater than yourself. It's about seeing the world through love and kindness. Put on the glasses of love and kindness and have no expectations. And life 
is beautiful. Oh my goodness, it is. And like you said, the best part where I'm from and where we are from and where I hope the world does mostly is you can start it anywhere. It doesn't have to be at the time of your birth. No, absolutely not. Like you said, it could be at 35. Any single moment is the best moment to start. Any single moment. If you're listening to this right now and you're like, well, he's right, then do something about it. Change right now. You control this. This is in your control no matter who you are. And everything that you do is a choice. Choose to be something better. Choose to be something greater because the odds of you being born are like one in 400 trillion. So the fact that you're here means you're lucky and blessed. Do something with it. Don't waste it. So now I'm going to talk about a little bit about this podcast. So as I mentioned, I met you when I was actually advertising my podcast. When I left that message about my podcast, what about that message? And what about the show made you want to be a guest on Autism Rocks and Rolls? The autism part of it. So when I was a kid, I used to get into a lot of trouble and got kicked out of schools. And the only way I could get to school was the little short yellow school bus. And there was the most amazing human being I know. His name's Jerry Coleman, was the bus driver. And he would come all the way out to my home, 30, 40 minutes away from school, and sit in my driveway and honk the horn to ensure that I got up and got on that bus. And he would wait for me no matter how long it took and made sure I was on that bus and made sure that I got to school. He was like a grandfather. On the bus, it was full of everyone who had some form of mental handicap, autism, Down syndrome and everything in between. It was such a life humbling experience for me because at my core, I'm a big softy. I'm a big soft guy. I'm a very emotional guy. I grew up in the woods and I loved animals and I fell in love with my Down syndrome guys. I remember their names. It's David White and Jeremy Bumgardner. And so these two guys were like brothers to me. And for two school years, I rode this bus and I developed such a love for people with mental disabilities because it's not their fault. It's not your fault. And there's such a loving, instinctually loving element to people who have a mental disability. They may not function like a normal person. And I don't even know all the normal, the the proper dialogue or whatever the hell it is. Well, sorry to interrupt you, but first of all, there is no normal, but continue. There's no such thing as a normal person. Just because they may not function like whatever society wants to consider normal doesn't mean they're less. In fact, I think that it might put them on a better level because they're purely instinctually loving and caring. And that was my experience with people that had mental disabilities. And so I fell in love with them. I have maintained all this time and my whole life, a special place in my heart. And when I saw that here's somebody that's on the autism spectrum, who's doing a podcast, he's living his life and he's making more of life than what people expected him to. I love that because Nobody expected me to do anything. I was expected to fail my whole life and be nothing. And so when I seen that, I related to you instantly like, this kid, I got to talk to this guy. I got I to get to know him. I have to. Well, first of all, thank you. I'm, I'm glad we got to know each other. I'm really excited. And, you know, there's part of me wondering, I don't know if you have ever heard of this, but have you heard of an IEP before? Or in did you have I, that in school? An IEP? I don't think I ever have. It's in, called Individualized Education Plan. No. Okay. They may not have had it back in your time because I was wondering, nowadays in school, they have IEPs for physically limited people, mentally limited people, emotionally handicapped people. So I was wondering maybe 
and this is just out of curiosity, maybe you had an IEP for emotional behavioral problems. And I was wondering, maybe that was the reason why society put you on that small yellow bus, which maybe for a good reason, because you met those people. So maybe you had one, you didn't know. I had ADHD. I mean, the super version of ADHD. And again, because I got in a lot of trouble, they used to put me in what we called it a resource class. And it was mostly ADHD kids that were stoners or troublemakers or goth kids, kids that had problems who clearly, if I look back at it now, you have to be blind to not see that these kids have problems in their lives. You have to be willfully ignorant at that point. And the teachers were absolutely incredible with these kids that were in my class, but there's only one school that has it. And it was in Greenville, which is 40 minutes where I live. That was my only way of getting there. And, but you're right. I think they don't care. I think on the upper levels, they don't care about the progression of people as individuals. They're there for a quota. I think, especially like in bigger schools, they'll put on a wonderful facade about how much they care about children and their educations, but you still have that demographic of kids that get bullied and get picked on. And the school does not go above and beyond to protect and help those kids. I'm an ambassador for an organization called Buddha Bullying because we hate bullying. It's such an unnecessary evil. And I think the schools ignore it. I think a lot of schools ignore it. They'll put on a big front about how they have all these programs to help block it. But I think they willfully ignore it because I was willfully ignored. And everybody in that classroom was willfully ignored. And some of the bullying that I witnessed and endured was horrible. Right. And I've had to go through bullying myself. I mean, I was the kid in the back of the classroom who was always picked last for dodgeball teams. And I hate to say it, but out of custom, I got used to it. Right. And it becomes comfortable. You become... You get complacent and comfortable in it, which is really repressive to emotional growth. You know, luckily you were able to break out of that shell and, and move forward and, and chase your dreams, which is incredible. Well, Sonny, I had to because I would have went down the drain if I didn't straight up. As you said, facts. And Sonny, though, there's something, though, that picking me sometimes it depends on the school because my school... Well, it- I would say the staff was awesome, but the students kind of sucked. And I'm not going to say it's every school. And it maybe it's just my particular school, but I know there's schools that are just as bad if, and worse than my school. It's not every school. There are some schools that do a wonderful job and they really pay attention, but I think there's more that can be done. There's a lot more because we know it exists. We know that it happens. And if we know that it happens, we need to isolate where it's happening, find out where, why, and when, and eliminate it. If we can sneak into foreign countries, we can protect kids from getting bullied in our school systems on our own soil. But as you said, it takes time. It's not tomorrow that they won't be stopped being bullied. No, no. It's going to be one person who is going to fight for bullying, unfortunately. It takes awareness and it takes a village, man, to be sure. Yeah, it takes a village for me too. It took a village for me with everyone. It took a village to raise me. It takes a village for everything. It took villages, precincts, and everything else to raise me. So I understand. But hey, the more resources, the more stronger you become. 100%. Awareness. Share his podcasts. Tell your friends. Raise awareness. And out of curiosity, what were your initial thoughts of me when I first met you via Zoom? I thought you were incredible. You have confidence. You have courage. You're brave. You're charismatic. I thought, look at this. I was inspired by you. You inspired me. I'm like... That's what I'm talking about right there. That is what I'm talking about. You inspired me. I was inspired. That was, that's the word I'm using. 
Well, thank you very much. And I'm really glad you were. That's my job with this because this stigma of mental health and this stigma of autism, this stigma of trying to see life in a different way. Harmony wants to ask, why the hell is it here? It shouldn't be. And you're living proof that just because you're on the spectrum doesn't mean you can't do something. You can do right. anything that anybody else can do. Correct. I agree with that 100%. Now, I do want to go more in depth with your shirt, Buddha Bullying. So tell me a little more about Buddha Bullying and what is the main message of Buddha Bullying and why it is so valuable to you. I know you kind of answered it briefly, but I guess go more in depth with it. So Buddha Bullying is an organization in the Coachella Valley, a nonprofit whose objective and mission is to go into schools and give kids and parents and teachers tools to recognize bullying when it's happening and give them the tools to overcome and eradicate bullying. It's designed to speak out to the kids that may be getting bullied and how they can stop it, how they can overcome it, how they can heal from it, and how they can help other kids to be aware that it's happening and give them the courage to step up and protect other kids as well. Because if we can get the kids to understand the ramifications and consequences of what bullying does to people. Kids aren't inherently evil. They're not inherently mean. It's a trait that's learned. It's a learned characteristic and they pick it up from somewhere else. They pick it up from home or they pick it up from their neighborhoods and they bring it to the school. And Buddha bullying's objective is to go into these schools and to help as many kids as we can to give them the tools how to overcome and how to heal and to how to help other kids become aware and learn. And we think that through that kind of growth, that kind of influence, we can help prevent it in as many areas as possible. The outcasters sometimes are truly the stars. No doubt. 100%. Some of the most amazing stars in the world were outcasts. And I don't get why we are half the time because... If you ever seen Darman, they talk about why they get bullied in school. But the next thing you know, they're the greatest boxer or they're playing golf and they won a championship. Well, you know, pain is growth, man. Pain is growth. And the more that we endure, the more solid we become and the better poised we are to take on the world, man. And look at you. Look where you're going to be. You've had to endure a lot of pain in your life, a lot of emotional pain and suffering and have your back against the wall and you never give up. You've never given up and look at you in a few years. You're going to, man, who knows where you're going to be. Maybe you're going to have your own TV show or something. Who knows? And Sonny, you got to check out this song. It's one of my favorites. I think it's represents you. It's called pain by three day grace. I don't know if you ever heard of Love it. it. Oh God. Yes. That's the best song. The line that hits me hard and it's so true. Almost rather feel pain than nothing at all. Yep. And that's kind of, I don't know if you'd say one of the brokenness of me or the beauty in me, maybe a little broken beauty is what you can call it. That'd be a good song title right there, just thinking out loud. But next thing you play guitar, make the song Broken Beauty. But anyway, I think pain rather than nothing at all. I think there's a party that sometimes would rather feel pain than nothing. Right. Because nothing is the worst feeling in the world. Absolute loneliness or feeling like you have nowhere to turn or nowhere to go nobody that cares and nobody to talk to it's the worst feeling in the world you would rather be hurting or that because then at least you know you're alive you know that you're in some sense normal because oh, yes. i feel too you know what i mean yeah it gets to a point odd sensation that you're getting that society's getting you what you want but you're taking the underestimation and you're putting it against them so you're asking society 
So please underestimate. And this is odd, but man, I love getting underestimated. No doubt. It makes you a bigger dog in the fight. Doubt me. I love it when you doubt me. I love it when you hate against me and you think that I can't do something because that just motivates me to do it even more. Yeah, and then, and then you can rub it in a little bit if you want to. <laughs> you know, you take your shots. Yeah. You rub it in where you can get it. Yeah, exactly. Now, I do want to talk about you being sexually assaulted. So my question is, when you finally came out, did your mental health change after getting sexually abused for five years? And if so, how? I don't think it did, honestly. I had no satisfaction from my victimizers being arrested and put in jail. Like, I didn't get anything from that. I didn't feel like, oh, now I'm safe. Or, oh, hey, no, it's, I'm good. It's still there. The, the trauma that still happened still existed. I don't think I fully dealt with it until, like I said, I was in my 20s. I learned to suppress. I learned to block pain. I learned to block out all emotion, which was the good thing because I also learned to block out love and kindness and joy. And I was really just a sad kid that put all his emotion into music and animals and video games. Right. And, but those are great hobbies to have. And I bet that helped you out a little bit. It absolutely did. It gave me a great way to escape. Some, you know, kids need a way to escape. Some kids escape through books. Some escape through video games. Some escape through music. But it's definitely saved my life because I wasn't a depressed child. Even though I was horribly bullied in school and I had been victimized and I'm in and out of court systems on and off probation, I was never a depressed kid. I was still happy. And I think that I owed that to music and video games because I was able to escape reality through playing my Nintendo or my Super Nintendo and escape reality and put in my music and I could close my eyes. And I especially love listening to live music uh, because I, I love the crowds and I can close my eyes and I can see the crowds and I'm on stage and I'm playing with the band. And I think I manifested that in my life because when I was 35, well, actually I was 36, I did start a rap metal band and got signed to a label and toured around the country. And that's awesome. I, first of all, good job. And I actually do the same thing almost sort of, except it's not concerts. It's pro wrestling with the fans. If you hear some of the pops or like, that's what they call the big cheers, like pops. Oh my goodness. Sometimes I I'll I've never been to a wrestling event, but I was a big wrestling fan but I put on headphones sometimes and I now hear music. Sometimes I'll hear the fans cheer just because I get the satisfaction of feeling as if this pain is kind of being washed away almost. Right. And you almost use the external source to wash away what you're feeling. It kind of takes it away and suddenly you're good again. You come out of it and you're like, okay, I'm all right. But here is the, I don't know if you say bad part, but kicker. I always joke around and say in wrestling, I'd rather be the heel or the villain. But because it's so true, because most of my life, Sonny, I've heard booze. And because I'm so used to the booze, I think I could, as they say, feed into the booze and roll along with it. So there's well, a serious side when I say I'm a heel. It's taking power away from potential oppressors or bullies or predators when you do that. You know, The Rock did it to wonderful, wonderful success. They hated Rock. Rocky Mayavia, when he first came out, they hated him. And then he became himself and he embraced the Rocky Sucks chance and embraced the things and it turned him into the greatest wrestler of all time. Right, and there's a promo that if you watch him, it hits hard a home run. It says, trust me, Rocky is a lot of things, but sucks isn't one of them. But this That's is what right. I say, 
autism is a lot of things, but sucks isn't one of them. That's right. Autism rocks, man. I love that, man. You're such an inspiration, man. You truly, truly are. Sonny, I am going to be a little blunt, though, and I have to ask, why did you wait for five years? Because if it was me personally, I couldn't hold it. I'd be like, I'm going to the police immediately because I was evaded very wrongfully, and this was completely wrong of you to do. This is my body. Quit messing with it as if it was a toy. So why did you wait? That's a question I'd love to go back and ask a five-year-old Sonny. The best answer that I have for that is I didn't want to see people hurt. I'm very good at suffering. And it's, it's a sad thing to say, but I'm really good at suffering. I'm great at internalizing pain. Lyrics and music really stick out to me. So when I heard like Harry Chapin when I was six years old, and I heard songs like The Shortest Story or Taxi Driver. The lyrics and the emotions that those people are feeling that Harry was trying to convey in his lyrics, I feel those. I felt that pain and I don't want to cause that pain to anybody. I felt worthless. I felt like this is what I deserve. And so I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want my predators to get into trouble. I didn't want to hurt them. I didn't want to hurt their families. I knew that they would get in trouble and I didn't want to hurt them. And so I willfully swallowed down my own pain and suffering and released it through music uh, wow. and video games. And I became my own martyr. I got their martyr, I guess. Wow. And Sonny, I'm saying that's really kind of in a way nice because you didn't want to hurt anyone. Your heart kind of took over in a sense, kind of, but you know, and maybe what you did was the smart thing. But to me, that's not the smart thing. To me, no. that the, the right thing was to tell someone. Immediately. So, because I always say, I'm not about doing the smart thing. I'm about doing the right thing. And I definitely should have. And I would admonish any kid that potentially hears it. Speak up immediately. Immediately say something. It's never good to hold it in and not say something because... I didn't have the mental capacity to understand then that maybe my perpetrators were also victimizing other kids. And had I thought about that, I probably would have said something because I would have felt those kids pain. And I would have rather helped those kids than protect these guys. Yeah, in a sense, because you're thinking of the aftermath too, kind of, because you're not just hurting them, it affects everyone. Right. As you said, it affected your family. There was no more outings. The family, family was, was divided. Broke. No, family was broken. And they just turned to a broken glass and you weren't a full picture anymore. It deters you from wanting to speak out in the future when another molestation happens because you've seen what happens when you do tell the truth and you speak up on it. My whole family fell apart. We didn't go to grandma's house anymore. Aunts and uncles accused us of being liars. And then, you know, years later, it comes out, he was molesting all of our cousins. And I felt responsible. I felt I could have prevented that had I spoke up and said something like that's on me. That's my fault. That's why they hate me. That's why my family hates me. And I internalized that as a child. And a child does not have the mental capacity to deal with something like that. All they're going to do is either become depressed and suicidal or become a predator. Right. And my thing, Sonny, was I had to tell because if it's happened to me, what the heck is it going to do to other people? Because I've learned out there, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And I had to have that sometimes. And you may have thought that when you were getting sexually assaulted, but when it comes to people's bodies and other aspects of life, I don't know if I could be the selfish turd and 
have that dog eat dog world capacity. Right. And you definitely should not. If you see or know that anything like that is happening, you got to speak up, man. You got to speak up and say something. As I said, it's the right thing to do. There may be some consequences for the actions that are bad for some, but for you, right is right. You got to protect yourself. You got to be a big dog. Whatever consequences come from doing the right thing doesn't matter. And you took a big step in yourself, I think, as well, if you speak sure. up. Now, you also mentioned when you were sexually assaulted, you were a reclusive kid. So what did you mean you felt as if you were a reclusive kid? Well, I stayed to myself constantly. I didn't have friends. I didn't go over to friends' houses. I never had stayovers or sleepovers or none of that. I didn't have a core group of kids that I would go hang out with. I spent all my time in the woods playing with animals and playing imaginary things, building forts by myself. I lived in a trailer park for a long time and that was very violent and oppressive in and of itself. The kids there were horrible to me. So I was always reclusive in by myself. So I would go out to the woods all day with my dog or whatever other animals I could come across. I would play in the creeks. I would then come home and I would go to the closet and I would sit in the closet and listen to music or If I was lucky enough to have a video game at any particular time, I would zone out and play video games until I fall asleep. My whole life was very just lonely. I was lonely most of my life. My question is, I also listened to that podcast with Boot Camp Mind for the Soul. You said that you prefer more company these days. You're still a little lonely sometimes. So I wonder, really, what did you mean by that? Well, I'm a very extroverted individual. I'm very extroverted. I love to perform. I love to be on stage. I love to interact with people. I love meeting new people and talking to new people. But I'm also cognizantly aware of letting people into my life because the majority of people are very selfish and try to take advantage of your kindness and your gratuity and try to jump on, hitch onto your wagon as it were. So I have to keep my fortress small. I got to keep it tight and it can be lonely. It really can. Even though you're, you, you know, I have a big fan base on YouTube. I'm a very extroverted person and love to perform. It can still be lonely because you still get scared. You want to protect that fortress. Like, cause I love, 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 my girl, I love my cats, I love my dog, and I want to protect that life. Right, and Sonny, I felt the same thing because I thought in my lifetime when I was getting excluded and getting pushed because of the majority, I thought, who can I trust these days, honestly? Can I really trust my mother? That's why I trust anyone 100%. I've never been able to because of all this mean bullying that's been happening to me. I mean, I've never been able to. It's just unfortunately the way I am, but also kind of fortunately because I think I'm more aware of the world and figured a lot more stuff out than others. But I would say that definitely it's helped me. But Sonny, in my life, I can be influenced and inspired by anyone I want to be. But at the end of the day, I know that I don't trust anyone. It's still my army and it's my army filled with probably a bunch of just heads of mine. It's just one versus all. At the end of the day, we are born and we exit this world by ourselves. I think it's incumbent upon every human being to try to leave the world a better place it was than you found it. I think we all have a duty to other people that we should be trying our best to help our fellow human beings to be a little bit happier if we can. And just enjoy our life as we have it. Like you said, you can be influenced. You have role models. You have people you aspire to be like, and that's a wonderful thing. I mean, I love The Rock, Denzel Washington, and these are my heroes in my life. I love 
these figures because they've inspired me. But at the end of the day, I'm the one that's going to be leaving this place by myself. Now, I do want to talk about this man you met in prison. As you said, while you were in solitary confinement, you met a man who changed your life. So what was his name again? And how, what did he do to make you feel that made you a better man? His name's Mallory Bay. He was a Muslim man. We locked at the end of a hallway imprisoned at the very end of the cell down in solitary confinement and you can't see anything out this little slit of a window that you're looking out except this guy across the hall and he's a short fat little black guy and he would call over to me every day after I got to the hole would just call over hey come talk to me man come talk to me man I'm so bored man come talk to me and I'd cuss him out you know leave me alone bleep 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 cuss him out left and right and he never stopped and probably a week or so after that loneliness started kicking in and I'm just like what do you want to talk about man what and I'll never forget the lines that he said to me he said why are you so angry and what is it that you're passionate about? And I had no answer. I'm like, well, shit, man, I don't know. I'm angry because I'm in the hole. And he's like, yeah, that's superficial, man. You've been in the hole for a week. You can't be that mad about it. What are you mad about? What really makes you angry in life? And what is your passion? And I had no passion. I couldn't answer these questions. And I'm like, I have no idea. And he's like, well, you got a long time to think about it. We Let's sit here and think about it and give me an answer to that. He's like, you don't owe me nothing. I don't owe you nothing, but I want to help you. He'd been in prison at that point for 20 some years and, and had a wealth of knowledge and was telling me, you're young. You're going to get out of prison when you're young and you have so much life left to give. There's no point in walking through life angry. And he was right. I mean, what am I going to say to that? I'm not going to be like, oh, you're wrong, man. You're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. So he started shooting me over reading material, self-help books like John C. Maxwell leadership book. And one of my favorite books, which I actually just recently got a copy up in Big Bear when I was up there with my girl in Big Bear, California, The Fred Factor by Mark Sanborn, which was an amazing book. I fell in love with the content with the literature that I'm reading. I'm like, this is amazing. This is what I want to be. And then I found a book that was called Personality Plus. And one of the main things that I had read up to that point was, what do you want to be? What kind of personality do you want in life? And at this point, I was a gangbanger. I was very violent. I was in a very bad place in my life. I was in the hole for a very violent assault. And I didn't want to be that person. I never wanted to be that person. I had to do it to survive because I was raped when I first got to prison, which put me into a mentality of I'll never be a victim again. I became this violent gangbanger for however many years after that. I never wanted to be that person. I did it out of survival tactic, throwing on masks. I got all these damn tattoos because I knew I had to get tattoos and look tough or I would continue to be a victim. I'm not going to do that. So, I mean, I got all kinds of screwed up tattoos. And this book is telling me now that I can choose my personality. I can be however I want to be. And you start to discover that a personality is a choice. The type of person you are is a choice. You don't have to be an asshole. That's a choice. It just sank into me. Like I can choose to be the person I want because a mood prolonged becomes a trait. A trait prolonged becomes a characteristic and the characteristic becomes a personality. And it's like, if I just habitualize positive thoughts, I'm going to become a positive person. As a child, I was very loving, very empathetic. I had empathy for my victimizers. I had empathy for animals, empathy for my bullies. But I'm a very loving person. I come from love and I had to get back to it. I got taken off that road. And as I'm reading these books, I'm starting to realize like I'm a loving, kind, nice, happy person. 
I need to make the choice to be that person, regardless of my environment. I need to become that person. That's who I want to be. That's what I need to be. And that's what my calling is to be. And so I made that decision. And he just nurtured me through the whole process of start writing. So I started writing every day and journaling every day and writing essays. And I would submit the essays to the local libraries. And I started to win an award for some of my essays. They started to come back like, we can really see your growth. I was supposed to be in the hole for five years. And after 19 months, I was released early because I went and taught a class called Thinking for a Change that helped so many people. And they let me out of the hole early. The road was still rough. But I was able to overcome all the adversity that I had to come by sticking to my morals and my principles and my foundation that I'm a good person. I see life through the lens of love and kindness. No human being is unworthy and no human being is unworthy of love. Everybody deserves to be loved. Everybody deserves to be happy. And so I just took that approach even in prison, I started to help other inmates on the yard and start to change their mindsets. And then I'm like, I can do this. I can be a motivational speaker. I can do this. I own my charisma. I have charisma. I own it because I made it. I built it. I built my personality. I studied, I studied, I studied, I practiced. I would go into a zone in my cell for hours at a time. I would pace for hours until my entire body's racked with pain, pacing, but in my mind, I'm somewhere else. I'm on a stage talking to thousands of people or I'm performing music in front of thousands of people. And I manifested that and made it happen. I built who I am. People need to know that you can build who you are. You can build who you want to be. Well, thank you. I think that's a lot of information to soak in. But <laughs> first of all, Sonny, I will say, if this makes you feel any better, I think your tattoos look wonderful. I want to say <laughs> well, that. Thanks. No problem, man. I think Tattoos is a form of art. So I know they say ridiculous, but I actually think they're pretty cool. So, well, thanks. No problem, man. And then, second, you say you like to write, bro. I love to write. That's one of my favorite right. things to do in hobby. Is there a particular essay that you remember or a particular line you wrote one time in an essay you could share with um, us? I had a poem once. I used to write a lot of poetry. I don't write so much anymore. I've, I got technology and keyboards, and I still. Like I'm writing a book right now called The Accidental Buddhist about my life. And I try to get into there every day. And I take notes from my studies because I study daily. I study like the Stoics. Like right now, I'm halfway through Marcus Aurelius's meditations. And so I take notes and I post those to my motivational page. But I had a poem that was called Solitude. Of, I think it was called Solitude of Madness or some such thing. And I don't have any of them anymore because I have a ex who destroyed all my stuff. But I kept all those poems and it was a poem about the walls and how walls in prison change, how they move, how they become different. You don't really know that unless you spend an exorbitant amount of time in the same room and walls start to move. Is it actually the wall moving or is it some type of psychological mind screw that I'm putting myself through? But the walls move, they talk to you, they change, they look different. And that, it was a poem about that. And I think that that was one of my favorite poems I've ever wrote, but I, I don't remember the name of the damn thing anymore. Well, that's okay. At least you remember that. Now, what was the guy's name again? You said Mal what now? It's, he's, it's a hard name to say. So that changed you, you said? Oh, Mallory Bay. Valerie Bay, yeah. do you still talk to him? No, he is, uh, unfortunately, he died. Oh, did but... you talk to him after you left, before he nope. passed away? Oh, man. Never talked to him again. 
outside of the hole. It was just uh, that one moment in time that he and I uh, got to see each other. Oh, well, at least you got to meet and let me know. Maybe once you pass, maybe you'll meet him again. So I also want to know this, and this is just a curious sight, trying to look inside the prison because I've never been in one. Well, I haven't, but it was a cool trip. So how did you occupy yourself while you were behind bars? We talking about before or after Mallory Bay? Let's do both. Well, before it's not so good. A lot of gambling, a lot of gang activity. My entire life revolved around gang activity. And that's all I focused on from the time I got, I mean, we would work out, we would patrol the yard, we gambled, we ran illegal enterprises, smuggling and loan sharking and every other form of BS you could think of. And that was my life. All I did every day. After that, my life was filled with yoga in the morning, going to the yard and doing yoga, reading, studying, study groups, talking to other inmates and sitting down and having study groups. It, was a, it wasn't an easy transition because when I got out of the hole, the gang wanted me to come back and I had to take my stand. And I said, if I'm going to be this person that I've willed myself to be, I have to stand up to these guys. I have to let them know that I'm done, whatever the consequences, and I have to stand firm in that. And I did. And it took almost two years, I think, maybe a little bit longer, of constantly getting jumped, constantly getting beat up, constantly getting attacked and assaulted before they actually would leave me alone. And I had to go to a dark place and make a statement, but then they left me alone. And then I spent the last few years of my time in prison mentoring guys and just kind of coasting it out. And I still stay in touch with a core group of guys that I worked with and they're all out. They're successful. They're homeowners, business owners, and they're just wonderful people. And that's awesome, man. I'm glad you like shifted that my thought. And my question to you now is while you were getting jumped and basically robbed, how did you overcome those obstacles? How did you think you stand your ground? How did you learn that? Oh man, I'm going to go into a place I don't want to, but I'm going to have to go. How'd you figure uh, that out? Well, no, I pre-Mallory Bay was happily violent. Very, very bad. Very badly, happily violent. But after that, I just endured. I kept telling myself, the pain is temporary. Physical pain is temporary. They're going to leave me alone at some point. You know, they're going to let it go. Uh, but they just didn't and didn't and didn't. And I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> Y'all got to really leave me alone, man, because... I've taken my punishment. I've Whatever it is, I've endured it. It's time to leave me alone. And if you don't, I'm going to make an example of you. Because I can't keep getting beat up ever. I can't go to the bathroom at two o'clock in the morning and get jumped and beat half to death. That's got to just stop. And they didn't. They jumped me again. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. There's only way I know. There's Some men only speak one language. And that's where I'm going to have to show you guys to leave me alone. Let me ask you this. Did you try to end it peacefully at first? For years. <laughs> For years, well, I tried. To tried. End it I mean, that's what you can. That's what you can try to do at first, at least. Yeah. And all, and they didn't. So I don't want to get into the gory details of it because it's nothing good. But it just I made my statement and it worked. They left no, me I alone. don't. I'm not, we don't have to get into the gory details. I'm just trying to express that in life. Sometimes you have to make a statement. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you just, you have to put on a display so that people understand that you're not playing. And it goes for any facet of life. If you're a musician, sometimes you have to take a really serious risk to let people know that you're serious about it. I'm not playing. And it's the same thing in my life with the business that Claire and I are opening, which it's funny that you went back and listened to that podcast because 
that podcast was the first time that her and I had talked. And now we live in Palm Springs and we're opening businesses together and nonprofits and doing organizational work <laughs> from that conversation that you listened to. And I figured, cause I was on your website and I was trying to get information on you. So not stalking you. Don't get, don't worry about that. I wasn't <laughs> oh, no, There's that. plenty of information out there to be had. I mean, we can go two more episodes with this, man. There's plenty. If you just Google it, man, there's, there's plenty out there to discover. What would you say to someone in prison right now that feels as though there is no hope, there is no chance of being successful because I'm in here right now. I'm behind bar. I don't see the world. What the heck can I do? I would admonish them again to look where you are. Time is not going to stop. That's the one thing they can't stop is time. And even if you're serving the rest of your life in prison, because there are some people that have natural life sentences, they're never getting out. You still can impact lives. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you have the opportunity to impact a life. One of my favorite books of all time is As a Man Thinketh by Viktor Frankl, who served time in a concentration camp when the Nazis were in power. And he maintained happiness and was able to inspire other people to be happy. And so that's my message for anybody that's in prison now thinking you can't do something or you don't have an opportunity. You do. You just have to choose to take it. You have to choose to take that opportunity. Again, if you're never getting out, save as many lives as you can that come in and come through. Send them back out with something useful. Do what Mallory Bay did for me and teach somebody that there's a better life and do your best. And if you are getting out, your life's not over. This is 2022. Just because you got a felony and you went to prison doesn't stop much, man. <laughs> doesn't stop much at all. No, 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 no. Went. Not nah. at all. And like you said, times an evil. No doubt. Because I, I hate it's time. never over, man. It stresses I, me out. And, you know, maybe in, if I went to prison, I want to worry about time. Maybe I'd live okay. Maybe a little more happier. Not being behind uh, bars. You're definitely not going to be happier if you go to prison. Well, I don't mean Sam, not behind. I don't mean not behind bars, but I mean in a place where time doesn't exist. Sure, and but you know you can create that space, and that's something that I think is, is useful. If you can, the ability to stop everything and block all external influence, and just be in your own space, in that space I was talking about earlier, between that just you and God know about right in there. And you learn to control that in there. We have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. 90% of them are the same thoughts we had yesterday. So if you can get in there and learn how to clean out that 60 to 70% of the same thoughts you had yesterday and start every day with a fresh mindset, wake up, write for 30 minutes, just write down all the crap that's in your head and clear it out, get your head out, meditate, focus, and you can clear that space. And that's where manifestation lies. You can then manifest whatever it is you want in life because you go at it from an authentic and pure mindset. Okay. My question is how the heck do you meditate without getting boring? Because I tried before. Um, um, and then five minutes into I'm looking at myself like, what am I doing? And that's the answer to your question right there. When, as soon as that thought comes in, you got to kick its ass. You got to push it out. When a thought comes in, what am I doing? I'm meditating. I'm meditating and bring yourself right back to the center. Have you ever held your head underwater? At times. Yeah. Like, but like ever, five seconds. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to think about anything when you're underwater? Actually, yeah, I have. So one of the things I like to do is go down to the hot tub and I go underwater with the jets blazing in my face and it's chaos. And I hold my breath for as long as possible. And I meditate underwater with all the chaos going and I clear it out. 
And I'm able to just sit there and cognitively think about one thing that I want to think about. And I can sit and focus. And oh, that- I'm sorry to interrupt you again. I, I mentioned that in a podcast episode once called Pinball Action. Yeah, check that one out. But I mentioned controlled chaos because there are some parts of aspects in my life and things I do that are controlled chaos. It's chaotic, but it's controlled and everything's moving at a formatic way. But when it goes all over the place, and it's like... And, and have you ever tried to look at somebody else's notes and notice how they never make sense? If you look at like my architect, Robert, amazing guy, you look at his notes and it's like, what in the hell is on your paper? Like, huh? But it works for him. It's kind of the same thing of what you're speaking about. It's a controlled chaos. Everything might look like it's going nuts, like it's traffic in Indonesia. But I know every moving part. I see every moving part. I can feel every moving part. And I'm in control of every moving part. And that's why if you're able to sit down and isolate yourself in that mindset, you can learn to control every moving part in that mad chaos. And you know what the cool part is, Sonny? It's your controlled chaos. Your controlled chaos. Now... I do want to talk about when you reformed. How did your life become, I don't want to say better, but what were some of the greatest life perks you experienced after you were freed from prison? There's been a lot, man. There's been a lot. I can look at the Cleveland City skyline and I know that I had a hand in building it because I got out and I went to work for a demolition company and got into the union and was in the laborers union for almost two years. And so that is a highlight of my life because I can look at something tangible and say, I did that. I impacted the city skyline of Cleveland. I joined a metal band. I started a metal band and I've opened up for amazing bands and I've headlined amazing shows in packed houses and small bars, big venues. Those to me are amazing, incredible moments. And then with Claire, I've met my true partner in life in all aspects. And her and I, we are frequent visitors of the ocean. We love to go up to the Pacific Coast Highway on the West Coast. We have five rescue animals. We're big animal lovers. And those are big key moments in my life. I used to live for the chaos. I used to love it. I used to yearn for the chaos. I used to love when things are just going crazy and the world is blowing up around me. I was comfortable. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I've learned to have that same affection and affinity for calm. Now my life is peaceful. I live in palm trees and mountains and desert and it's paradise. There's no chaos. And I'm finally happy with that. I'm finally okay with that. And I absolutely worship my life now. I love my life. You worship your life, man. I haven't got to that place at all. So I'm hoping to get there one day. And maybe for man, I'm hoping that one day I'll get there. You will. You know how diamonds are made? Through stone, I think, or something like that. So diamonds are taken from the earth and are put under an intense amount of pressure, that, that highly pressured. And then they're burned. That's fire. They're purified through fire. And the final process, what makes a diamond a diamond is it's cut. And it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And it's indestructible. We are diamonds. You, my friend, are a diamond. You have to go through pressure. You have to endure the fire. And you have to take cuts. And then, and only then, are you unbreakable? You have to show the world you cannot be broken. You have to show the universe you cannot be broken because you're a diamond. No matter right. what, and I'm going to add on to that a little bit. You can cut the diamond as much as you want, but trust me, it's going to seal back closed. Facts. It's a diamond, and a diamond is indestructible. It's All indestructible, right. and it's beautiful. And you, my friend, are a diamond. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a lovely compliment that I will definitely remember from you for the rest of my life. So my again, man. thank you. Uh, cheers, I guess. I don't have a drink with me. I don't have orange juice with me, at least. Did you think after you left prison, uh, shoot, uh, where do I go now? Well, no, I, I got married, actually. I met a girl during my last few years, and we ended up getting married. So I was married. I moved to Akron, Ohio from Michigan. So I got out, I paroled to her house, and I moved to Akron, Ohio, and never been in Ohio in my life. I was a Michigan boy my whole life. We didn't work. It's not that she's a bad person. She's an amazing, amazing human being. She did a lot for me in my life. It's just the relationship was not what we thought it would be. We were in love with the thought of being in love. From a guy who's, I mean, I'm incarcerated. She had all of my attention, and I'm in prison, and she's the only human being alive that gives a shit about me or pays attention to me. Of course, I'm in love with you. <laughs> and when we got out, when I got out, it didn't take long at all to realize that I have way more stuff I need to do in my life than she's ready for. She was ready to just go to work, come home, watch TV and enjoy the calm life. I had so much more work I had to do yet because I'm 35 and have accomplished nothing. And I need to do something to cement my legacy to change the world. I think what it sounds like to me is, and this is just an outsider's view. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. But because of the experiences you both had, it just seems you're a little bit maybe of opposite personalities. Case in point, sure. person A, like personality, I think it's what it is. They like to do something. They have to feel like they are. And they're not cool, calm, collective. They just feel like, I have to do this. I have to do this. Like they're the go-getters. They jump in the pool head first, as they say. And I'm like that. Sharks are born swimming, man. Yes, I agree with that. But that's how I am. I don't think, I wonder if I'll be able to retire because- I feel like if I retire, I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? I right, can't you're gonna be bored on the couch. I'm too yeah. bored here. I, I think, yeah, retirement is not, I think that's something from the old school America, man. I'm going to continue to try to change the world until the day I die. Yes, sir. I'm glad you're doing that. I'm going to try to do that too. But then again, you have personality B who sounded like your ex who just was kind of cool, calm, collected, chill. I done enough. I'm ready to just do what I want. Yeah. And she didn't really have any aspirations to want to do more in life. And that's where I think Claire and I have, I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a magical connection is because at the end of the day, we're the same. Her and I are diametrical opposites externally. Like you would not expect us to be together. I like things loud. I like things obnoxious. I like video games. I'm a, a loud, edgy American dude. And she's a very reserved, posh, classy woman. And at the end of the day, we are the same person at our core. We Our foundation is kindness, compassion, and empathy. We see the world through love and kindness and both have a desire to change the world for the better and do something and not just sit and hope that it gets better, but have an active participation in trying to make the world a better place. And I'm telling you what, man, I worship her as well. She's the most amazing human being I've ever set my eyes on. That's awesome. Man. I'm glad you have some someone with you to share your life experiences with. I really am. Thanks, man. No problem. You'll have to talk to her someday. You'll love her. She's oh, I will. I'll bet I will. Now, something that you said on the podcast on the boot camp for my soul, it kind of hit me really hard. And a lot of you wouldn't understand it, but so I think I'm one of the ones who actually do. You said, I may have to paraphrase it, so bear with me. It was, I want to be around the cops 
or the male cause because I wasn't being touched. I felt safe around them. So I understand your logic completely, but tell our listeners, what was your logic behind the thought of that belief? It's the one thing that I came to understand why I broke the law so damn much because I could not for the life of me figure out why by 10 years old, I had five felonies. I could not for the life of me. If you would have asked me when I was 15 or when I was 20, when I was 25, I would not have been able to answer the question. I don't know why I did it. Now I know why I did it because I yearned for the attention of men that wanted something better for me because they were like almost like father figures. The men in my life had been nothing but abusers at this point, either emotionally or physically or whatever. They were abusers. And so I fell in love with the attention of these men because these men wanted the best for me. That's what they said to me. And they never did anything contrary to what they said. They said, you need to be a good kid. You need to do this. You need to straighten up. You need to tighten up. Good boys don't do this, blah, 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 blah. And that was it. They never, you didn't want a hug. You didn't want no type of affection. This is what it is. You need to straighten up, blah, blah, blah. And that's what I needed. That's what a young man needs. A young man needs a father figure, somebody of authority. And now looking back at it in retrospect, I realized I was yearning for their attention for those reasons. And Sonny, I kind of have a similar experience with it, believe it or not. So I was, as I've mentioned a lot on this, I was excluded. So I didn't like talking to the kids at my school. I didn't like talking to the students at my school. You know who I gravitated toward to? Because they were inclusive and just well-respected people. And I could tell that. The adults, the staff, the people who I could go to where I could just be like, oh my goodness, they actually care? Right. Here's this every day. And it's good to have that outlet. It's good that you have someone that you can go to. It really, really is. It's the thought I thought we're talking to opposite people, kind of, in a way. No doubt. No doubt. I knew I liked you, man. I figured you would. I just meant like we're talking to opposite people. Like you were talking to police who were good for the law, but yet you right. were kind of the law breaker. I was talking to people who were the opposite of my age, but I should be talking to students that are five, six, seven, eight. So right. Forth. But they were authority figures that didn't judge you and didn't mistreat you or didn't make fun of you or didn't abuse you. Correct. It and sounded so like it sounded like the police and the teachers that I had were firm, but fair. Right. And so were the police. The police were very firm and very fair. And that's all and that's, we that's ask for as need. men, I think. That's exactly what we need as young men. Sonny, we'll be right back. We're going to hear an advertiser from Unlocking the Spectrum. So let's get to it. At Unlocking the Spectrum, we are committed to making the highest quality ABA therapy accessible to all children with autism. We pride ourselves in offering fun, compassionate, and data-driven programs for individuals with autism and unparalleled support for their families. Our personalized approach means that every unique child is given just what they need to reach their maximum potential. We are so happy to support Sam in his mission of taking the stigma off of autism. You can learn more about our services and employment opportunities in both Indiana and Texas at unlockingthespectrum.com or by calling 855-INFO-UTS. That's 855-INFO-UTS. All right, folks, are back. And don't forget to check them out because they will unlock the key to success. Sonia, do you want to talk more about kind of loneliness? Because you said in your life, you're very lonely. So in your eyes, how powerful is loneliness? I think loneliness is a very powerful tool. You have to take time to reflect and to be alone, to, to work out things in your mind. The Stoics did. The Stoics spent a lot of time by themselves in reflection, reflecting on the day and uh, reflecting on their lives and 
keeping their own mortality in their immediate awareness and the memento mori philosophy. I think loneliness can lead to rock bottom. And I think rock bottom is the best place to build from. I think everybody has to go through shit in their life. You have to go through it to appreciate good life, to appreciate happiness. You have to endure the bad in order to appreciate and respect the good. And loneliness is a key to that. It's a key thing in that. I don't wish that anybody ever feels empty or alone. I don't think it does anybody any good. But if you do are there, you have to make the most of it. Marcus Aurelius said that everything that is thrown on the fire becomes fire, becomes fuel for the fire, and that the obstacle is the way. So if you're lonely and you're alone, you use that as a motivator to build, to not be lonely. I'm not lonely anymore in my life. I appreciate my solitude now. I take my solitude. I mean, I have so many wonderful people in my life that I will never feel that empty feeling again. And I'm glad. I mean, there was a time where I felt that empty feeling, Sonny. I'll tell you that. And it was a hard time. It was so hard because... You want your fuel in the fire. You want to soak in the gas. You know, you're not supposed to drink the gas, but you want to soak it in. Right. And you just want to feel like you're kind of being light on fire like the Ghost Rider. And not light on fire like you're burning, but like light on fire in a good way where you're the Ghost Rider and you're driving down the motorcycle because you're a confident human being. I like that, man. That's a good analogy. Thank you. Right, 100%. And about a funny analogy, you're saying you hit rock bottom and you're saying it's good. It's not good unless you're the rock's opponent. (laughs) If you're getting rock bottom, it ain't good. Yeah, exactly. That's a little different than hitting rock bottom. Now, you also started a YouTube channel. So my question is, what made you decide you want to start a YouTube channel? After leaving the music scene, I started in corporate life. Again, an ex-convict can do anything in life. I went to a staffing agency to get a temp job, and I ended up meeting the owner of the company. And after having a conversation with the owner of the company, he gave me a career. And I started working as a staffing specialist in Ohio. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, the staffing industry got hit really bad. We all got laid off and I didn't know what to do at that point. It was a scary time. Like all my income just got cut off. I had a family. I had a woman and kids and dogs and bills. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was literally laying on my couch watching YouTube. And I seen this guy called No Life Shack, who's a reactor. And I just, the guy was phenomenal. He was funny. He was hilarious and he reacted to music and music has been such an influential part of my life i've been critiquing music my whole life i've had groups that got together to talk about music in prison we used to get together and talk about new albums we discovered new songs we discovered and when i saw that i'm like i can do that i can do what he's doing and i see that he's got over a million subscribers and i'm like that's got to be paying money so i I Googled it all and looked it up and sure, I mean, this dude makes a wonderful, wonderful living. And I'm like, I can totally do that. So I went to my basement, fired up a webcam and I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about technology, nothing about being a reactor. And I reacted to a mushroom head video and I just kept doing it. I kept making reaction videos and kept uploading. And then a good buddy of mine named Peretti, who's a reactor, he hit me up. He said, dude, I see you got a reaction channel and you're getting into it. I got some tips for you because I've been doing it for a while. And he helped me. And next thing you know, I blew up. I went from 50 subscribers, 100 subscribers to thousands in literally like five days. And I'm like, holy crap. So I kept going. Next thing you know, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, 25, 
30. I'm like, holy crap. And I started making a good living. I started doing Twitch gaming and learned about Twitch. So I started gaming and doing music reactions and it was wonderful. And I wanted to teach other people. So I started helping other people learn how to do other musicians in the scene, people that love music because I love to see other people's opinions and reactions to music. So I've helped people like the Wolf Hunters and, and Metal Mafia and Jamie Jams and my ex. And then I broke up with my ex-girlfriend, my, my kid's mother. And I was hacked. They hacked into my channel. They posted pornography at three o'clock in the morning and got my channel deleted. <laughs> so I got out of that situation and started over and got back up to 10,000 subscribers and got hacked again. And I'm like, I don't know how to stop this from happening. These people are trying to destroy me. And so I went in and figured it out. And I've started my third installment and I'm almost back to 9,000 subscribers. And it's just something I'm, I'm passionate about doing. I enjoy watching and discovering music. It's been a great journey. It's really helped me spread out my motivational company that we have and everything else that's been going on. I love being a reactor. I love the sense of community and it's a great thing. How can people find it? Sonny Von Cleveland. You can just put it in anywhere. You can Google it, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere you put it. Sonny Von Cleveland and you'll find me. All right. People check it out. I checked it out a couple. It's a pretty good channel. Thanks, man. No I, I thoroughly enjoy it. You seem like you really do. And I mean yeah. that sincerely. Authenticity is attractive. Oh, yes, it is. AIA, right? I, I like it. Hey, be on a shirt. Be on a shirt right there on the back. Acronym. AIA. <laughs> Authenticity is attractive. Hashtag it. Oh, heck yeah. I'll hashtag that. Now, I do want to talk more about your cat business that you're starting. Uh, yes. Business. Why'd you decide to start a cat cafe? And where are you at in the process, really? I know it's kind of starting up. It's crazy how it happened. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Just Mike in LA, the other day. And he said, man, I don't know where that came from. He's like, but I've always known you were going to do something amazing. Claire and I decided to move to Palm Springs last year. And both of us are in a mentality of you only have one life. And I want to live it to its best potential. I don't want to work for somebody else. I'm over the stage in my life that I want to work for somebody else. I want to be my own boss and make my own hours and live my own life. And so her and I sat down and started brainstorming on a business to start out here. And we toyed with the idea of a jewelry store first because her and I love to travel. So we travel to all kinds of places in California and we take pictures and we get mementos. We thought about starting a jewelry business based on the places that we've been. And then she, we were sitting on a porch and she said, you know what? We should start a cat cafe. I went to a cat cafe in Virginia and we should do it. I had two cats that I brought with me from Cleveland, two rescue cats that I had. And when her and I went to Big Sur, we brought back two more. So now we have four rescue cats. And it just very organically happened. And it's like, okay, let's start a cat cafe. And I don't even remember how she came up with the name Frisky Business, but she did. And we designed it a sweet logo and got with somebody on Fiverr to help us come up with this amazing brand design. And we just started putting one foot in front of the other, like, let's start a business. And at the same time, help a ton of people. We can help cats and we can help people because cats are therapy animals. And so we're working with autistic kids. There's a wonderful autistic nonprofit here in the Valley, and we're going to be working with them to bring them into the cat cafe. And they want to do some work in there. They're more than welcome to volunteer and come in and play with the cats because the cats are therapy animals. There's over 4,000 homeless cats in the Coachella Valley and cat cafes statistically help tons, like thousands of cats every year get forever homes. And a cat and any animal is just like you or I. 
It deserves happiness. It deserves love. It deserves a good life. And we're out to do our best to help these cats find forever homes. And we're going to take them and put them on our mid-century modern style lounge where they can live their life wonderfully well taken care of and interacting with people until we can find them a good forever home. And we're going to do that. And we're uh, partnering. That's awesome. I, I'm yeah. a big fan of animals too. I mean, tell you that I'm much more of a dog guy though. I'm going to be honest with you. I just got one. I just got a, a rescue puppy. That's what you were hearing a little while ago. Uh, and I don't know where she's at. She has her own Instagram now. What, Come what here, type Sophie. It? I will introduce you to my new rescue puppy, Sophie Grace. And cool. what she's type absolutely is she? incredible. Say what? Is she a lab? Uh, like what type is she? No, we don't know her breed yet. We're going to do a DNA test. She was found in a box with the rest of the litter of her puppy, of her siblings. And Hi, sweetie. Here she goes. This oh, is my like Sophie Grace. Oh, she's so we think she's either Beagle Boxer Mix or maybe a Burmese Mountain Dog in Boxer Mix. We've looked it up. She's got quite the look of them, but she is an amazing, amazing animal. And we're going to make her an emotional therapy dog so oh, that she can. That's awesome. She seems and, like she'd be a good one already. I can already tell that. She's just She's very mellow, very chilled, uh, and she's absolutely incredible. She has her own Instagram if you want to follow her. It's Sophie, S-O-P-H-I-E underscore Grace PSP. She's an incredible, incredible dog. So we now have four rescue cats and one rescue dog. Cool. It, just that curiosity, um, this may be a dumb question, but is she going to grow? Yes. Oh, yes. They, I, I'm a big they fan project, of big dogs. They project she's going to be about 50 pounds, give or take. But we are doing a DNA test to find out exactly what she is because we have to know. We just She's nine weeks old. She's incredible. And I love her all two pieces. And that's my baby. So yeah, we are starting the Cat Cafe. And in the process, it's called Frisky Business Cat Cafe, Palm Springs Cat Cafe. You can Google it. And we have a website. And we've partnered with the Coachella Valley Coffee Company, which is a gay-owned uh, local coffee roaster that gets their coffee from female-owned farms that they visit to ensure that there is ethical treatment of their employees and everybody's getting a fair wage. We are seriously, seriously serious about working with local companies that work in only ethical fair trade. So we're partnered with the Palm Springs Animal Shelter, which is a nonprofit organization to help them and raise money for them and partnering with other local bit. We're using all local contractors, all local architects, all local everything to get this business open. And we're slated to open in June. Oh, that's awesome. Man, we do a weekly podcast. You guys can watch the weekly podcast. Uh, Claire gives weekly updates. I come in there. We have a cat of the week that we do. Everybody submits their cats and we pick a cat of the week. We go live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch every oh, week. How do you do that? My grandmother, who lives close by me, has several cats that I might submit. Yeah. So it's just on Facebook. Well, you and I are friends on Facebook. Now I'll send you a link over when we're done. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, I do want to talk about, I hear that you speak, I think. Am I correct? Just want to make sure. Well, I've been training to be a motivational speaker. I've only done a couple of small speaking engagements, but because of COVID, it really shut down everything. So I do most of my motivational speaking from YouTube and other social media platforms, but we are about to change the game with that as well. So can't get into that too much, but the Von Cleveland Foundation is a nonprofit organization that is being built and it's centered around giving speeches and doing assemblies to help sexual abuse victims and mental abuse survivors. I might have to, if you, when that starts big, let me know you pay the hotel 
and the food maybe, I might come and speak for you because Ooh. I've had a lot of mental health abuse issues as well. No doubt. I'd love to have you on board, man. We'll definitely talk about that. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. No doubt. But I do want to know this. When you do speak, what do you want someone to walk away with after they hear you speak? What is the one lesson that you want them to take from you? Your happiness in life is your choice. That's a great lesson. First of all, I'm going to say I, because happiness people, is what you make of it. Right. I want people to understand that being happy in life is a choice. You can choose to live the life you want. Your life is in your hands. There are three factors in life to consider. Non-control factors, influencing factors, and control factors. There are things in this life that you cannot control. You cannot control the way somebody is going to respond to something. You cannot control the way somebody feels about something. You can influence the way the world works. You can influence the way people think and feel, but you can only control the way you play the game. The only thing you control is the way you play the game. So play the game right and control your life and you're going to be happy. You're going to be super happy. You'll have everything you want. I'm just out of curiosity. And this is just a wondering question, I would say. Do you think your past has made you more of a confident speaker? Facts. 100%. If it wasn't for my past, I would not have it. And when I do speak, I speak very forcefully and aggressively. And that was ingrained into me by being in the penitentiary because it's so freaking loud in there. Everything's loud. It's just concrete and steel. So everything reverberates. Everything is loud. And if you just want to talk to somebody, you got to scream and you got to yell. And people have the attention of a goldfish. So you got to really get in there and, and get their attention real fast and keep it. All of that, I think, has trained me to be an effective speaker. That's impressive. I think my past has led me to become an efficient speaker, too, because, Sonny, I learned this. Not caring what people think of you has been probably the biggest tool that has led me to speak on stage because if I walk out and I get booed, screw it. <laughs> oh, what? At least you're booing. At least they're saying something. And it's like that. At least you're saying something. Yeah. And it's like that pink song. Uh, I'm not a big pop guy, but I'll listen to some pop every once in a there. But it's that pink Love song it. that goes, So what? I'm still a rock star. I got my rock move. Exactly. And I don't need you tonight. Right. Yeah, nice. that, yeah, you're getting on it. Now, you also, I see you have a photography. So how can one photograph change the way someone looks at the world or someone's perspective? I've tried to get into photography. I've come into a lot of roadblocks. I just, I love taking pictures and I love the concept of photography. I also am habitually bad at putting a lot of stuff on my plate. I take on way too much and I'm not effective at executing on most things because I'm spread too thin. And that's a lesson that I'm still learning in my life on how to regulate how much I take on. I started the photography thing out of a desire to show people what I see when I take a picture, when I'm grabbing an image, I want to try to convey that to people what I see. But there's a lot of technical aspects that go into being a photographer and I'm just not there yet. So I have to take the photography thing down because I've only taken, I don't know, 10 or 12 pictures that I actually edited with and put to production. It's more Still cool that you've done something with it. So what is it about photography that's cool to you? Is it the lighting, the effects? What is it about photography that's fascinating to you? I think the, the number one thing that is so fascinating to me about photography is that every picture is interpreted differently by somebody. So what the photographer saw 
at the moment he took the picture is what he's trying to convey. He's trying to show you what he seen or she. I think that that's the most magical thing about photography. I think anytime I see a picture from an artist, I try to imagine what that photographer saw in the moment that they took that picture and what were they trying to convey? What did they want me to see? How do I see it through their eyes? Yeah, exactly. What do they see? Kind of like something I did in my senior year of school. It was like ink blots. And you want to believe the answers I got. Some was a boxing glove. One was a chin with a face. I thought, how do you guys see this? I just see boxing gloves. I used to do that with Cheetos. I used to pull out Cheetos and try to find images in the Cheeto. Hey, why not? It's something, that's kind of cool, actually. I might try that now. You will every time you open a bag of Cheetos now. You're going to be like, oh, man, look at that. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm going to do, probably. <laughs> You're going to end up sending me a picture like, look, I found Jesus in a Cheeto. Yeah, next thing you know, or a pee. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do want to talk more about your life. So you said you guys met via on a podcast. So what is the one thing that you remember about that first encounter with your wife on the Boot Camp for the Mind and Soul podcast? The way she spoke. She captivated me the moment she started speaking. Wow. I was, I was stuck. She has... This dodgy accent that's not quite British, but it's not quite Canadian because she, she was born in England, raised in Canada, and then moved to Tokyo when she was 18. She became a professional model, went to Tokyo for five years, and then moved to London and lived in London for 21 years. And so she developed this really unique accent and it just, it grabbed me instantly. It grabbed my attention and she's got the prettiest prettiest eyes uh and just the way she composes herself man it just she grabbed me it was funny because i don't know if it was i think it was after that interview that we talked and she asked me to describe my ideal woman and without even thinking about it i described her to a t and i didn't even realize it i didn't even realize it until the next day when we got back into the conversation like oh my god i described you you kind of just like met your dream girl in a way that, a lot of guys don't get to have that you're one of the Lucky few men who did. Listen, I've never been one to consider myself lucky in life. Luck has not been a word I would use to describe my life. But with her, I feel like absolutely the luckiest, luckiest son of a bitch to walk the earth. You got to be with her. She seems really nice. She's now, incredible. Then this is another wondering question. Because of the past that you've had, did you have a troubled time developing a connection with her at times? Because it, you, as you said on the website, you both were kind of different personalities so not at all and the reason is because we're both authentic people we are authentically honest with each other from day one authentically honest with each other we can have any conversation about anything and we often do even to this day we can still get lost in a conversation together we drove past the grand canyon and didn't even see it that's how in-depth of conversations we get. I'm driving, she's in the passenger seat, and we're just I'm talking and talking and completely drove right by the Grand Canyon. Was like, wait a minute, did we just miss the Grand? Who misses the Grand Canyon? It's the largest thing in the freaking planet. Like, how did we do that? We had to turn around and go back and then you're like, okay. I want to see the Grand Canyon. Right, right. We were like, all right, let's shut up. Stop talking. Let's go see the Grand Canyon. We have fantastic communication. And I think that that is hands down the key to having a successful relationship is communication. We have 
honest, courageous, deep, authentic conversations with each other. And it's absolutely the recipe for success. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad you have found someone. I really am. I know I said that earlier, Thank but you. sincerely, I'm happy for both of you. Thanks, buddy. No problem. Now, I also do want to talk about, you also are a father. So I'm just curious, what does being a father mean to you? Whew, that's a whole can of worms there. So I have three sons. I have an 18-year-old in Michigan. I have a 17-year-old in Phoenix. And then I have a four-year-old in Cleveland, Ohio. I got out of prison when I was 21. I got two girls pregnant before I went back when I was 23. So I did five and a half years, got out for almost two, and then went back for another 12. Caden and Dalen were raised while I was in prison. I think when I got out, they were 13 and 12, almost 13. Uh, they're eight months apart. It's been up and down. It's been a crazy ride because my oldest son, Caden, his mother is <laughs> married to my brother, uh, which is a Jerry Springer show. It really is. It's, it's a crazy story. but And they have their own child together. And... I don't really have much of an interaction with him. He kind of, call, he calls my brother dad. So he calls his uncle dad and he's kind of got a family. We don't have a whole lot of interaction, but he will at some point, he's going to come around. He's going to grow up and become a, an adult. I mean, even though he's 18, he'll, he's a little rough around the edges. But my son in Phoenix, 17, great relationship. We get along phenomenally. I was just out there this weekend. And so I'm, I play on a softball team, a D-League softball team. And we had a tournament, the Saguaro Cup in Phoenix this weekend. So I went out there and I saw my son and hung out with him. He had prom this weekend. Uh, and we have a great relationship. And my four-year-old that lives in Cleveland, he was the center of my world. I was there when he was born and I raised him for the first almost three years of his life. But when I chose to leave his mother, she determined that it's that I don't get to see him. I don't get to talk to him. He see him, hear him, touch him, nothing. So... There's that. Yeah, life happens though sometimes. I can understand that I have some family members who went through a divorce and, you know, I wish I could see my cousin more often than I do. And he knows who I'm talking about. It's another obstacle. You know, it's just another obstacle. And the obstacle will become the way everything that is put on the fire is fuel. And it kind of reminds me, each time he's here, I try my best to add fuel to the fire by seeing him every week he's here. That's what you got to do. You got to maximize on your time. Live your life one hour at a time. And in that one hour, you control the way you play. Live it as best as you can. Give it everything you have for that next hour. Every Whatever project you're putting your hands to, give it everything you've got. And you know, Sonny, I'm going to go even further. I don't say one hour, man. I say one minute. It'd be a little difficult to schedule your life out one minute at a time, but absolutely. That's the mentality you have to have. You enjoy everything around you to its fullest. You live every day like tomorrow is the last one. Momento mori, as Marcus Aurelius said, you could die tomorrow. Let that determine the way you think, speak, and act. Life can be taken away at any moment. So live it every moment. These are for fun questions. So totally feel free. It'll be a lot of fun to answer. So Bring like, it on. All right, man. So one of them is what is your paradise meal or favorite food? And why is it your favorite? What is my favorite food? Yeah. I'm a big, big, big steak guy. I love a fat, funky, juicy ugh, steak. I yes, absolutely love my it. my man. I'm a big steak guy too. I'm a big, I'm more of a wing guy, but I like steaks too. What do you like? Ribeye, sirloin, T-bone? Uh, all the above. All Every the one above? of them. How do you like it cooked? Uh, uh, medium rare, I, rare? I, 
I'm a medium rare guy. I like I like it me or medium well. I mean medium well. I I like just a little bit or no medium rare. Yeah, I like it, I just like it pink with just a little bit of blood. Yes, uh, my I, man. Uh, I that's how we like our steak uh, cooked medium rare. But I'm a primarily a vegan. I don't. I might eat a steak. I'm not a hard lined vegan. I might eat steak once a year if that. It's my absolute favorite food, but I know the effects of animal products on our bodies and what it does to us internally. And so I refrain from eating animal products. Oh, wow. I do a lot of plant-based food and uh, I'm on a primarily plant-based diet. Okay. Well, what do you like to eat when you're on that plant-based diet? <laughs> what do I like to eat? Meh. I don't know. That, I don't know that there's any, no, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm playing. It's a, uh, it's a very, very can be very good. I like Thai food. I like pad Thai. Pad Thai is amazing uh, and it tastes great and it's like health in a bowl. Cool. I, I never have had pad Thai. I'm allergic to peanuts. So unfortunately, pad Thai has peanuts. So it does. That yeah, I never sucks. had it before. Oh, uh, but yeah, I've come to find that uh, I'm big into Thai food. I love pad Thai, man. It's, it's really good. What is your favorite movie or TV show and why do you like it? Favorite movies, Young Guns. Been my favorite movie since I was a kid. And Young Guns too. Interchangeable, both of them. And my favorite TV show was The Walking Dead. Oh, I've heard that's good too. I've heard The Walking Dead's been kicking it really high lately. I haven't watched it in a few years now. But it was Sons of Anarchy and Walking Dead are probably my top two favorite TV shows of all time. All the FX shows, actually. The Shield was phenomenal. Nip Tuck was amazing. Justified was incredible. Uh, but I like those good action drama shows. Oh, uh, yeah. You like the action drama? Probably like the Fast and Furious series. That'd be a good series for you. You know, what? I've never been into cars. Never been into cars at all. Like, I'm just not. And so I, I haven't even seen all the Fast and Furious movies. I've oh, seen it's a couple of them. But the I mean, cars, there's like, really, it's what, mainly action and drama. So, I mean, there's a lot of action and drama in them. I saw that. Right. And I did see the one with The Rock. And I, I love The Rock. The Rock is one of my idols. I do enjoy action movies. If I ever get on my show, because he has mental health issues, I'll try to get a uh, contact with you. Yes. Do that. Yes, sir. I'll, I, I have a couple people who want to meet him, so... I might give him a couple of references here and there. Let's put it that way. What has been your favorite vacation that you have ever taken? Why did you enjoy that vacation very much? It could be a work vacation, one for leisure, your call. Well, I mean, over the last year, I've had the most amazing trips. I've been to Vegas four times and it's incredible. But I would say that my favorite is Big Sur out on the West Coast of California. Big Sur, it's my idea of heaven. And I think it's got mountains, it's got cliffs, it's got ocean. It's just incredible. And it's by far my favorite spot. And we've been up there probably four times now in the last year and just incredible. We're actually going there next week. We're going to San Simeon, which is right there. We're taking the puppy to the beach and we're going to go hit uh, the beach for a few days next week. Awesome. Where is Big Sur? I never heard of it. And I'm just curious for myself because I'm a big traveling guy too. Is that like by Los Angeles or is like no, the northern part of California? It's on the coast, going up the coast. So LA is here. If you say here, it's kind of up this way. It's right on the coast, but it's probably an hour and some change south of San Francisco. And San Francisco's like way up north. Okay. I'll so have to check that out. Hour and some change. I'll have to check that out. Big Sur, man. It, it's heaven. It's All right. Amazing. I'll take your word on it. Now, this is the final question. 
Are there any good memories that you want to tell our viewers about? If you do, why do you remember that memory the most? Now, before you answer, I always like to end with a good memory that made you just feel good inside. And it can be very generic or how you feel. It's just your call. And a funny memory that made you fall on the floor. And that answer is your call, too. It could be one that happened with your wife. One with the cats or just one with you recently. It's up to you. Uh, I will actually show you my the greatest memory that I have. It, it, it's not the happiest memory of my life, but it's the greatest memory of my life. If I can find it, I hope I can find it. I'm pretty sure I have it on here somewhere. Of course, I literally have a gazillion pictures on my phone because I don't know how to delete them. Uh, so... <laughs> It could just be anywhere. And uh, I guess I can't find it. There's a picture of me the moment I was released from prison and I fell on my face, basically on my knees. I couldn't stand up. It was just absolutely incredible. And it's one of my greatest memories. And I actually have it as a picture. I just can't find the damn thing. And I think that was my greatest memory. It was something I never thought that I was going to get out. I was thoroughly convinced that I was going to die in prison and never be released. You felt freedom that for the first the time. I, when they opened the door and I collapsed, I couldn't stay standing. And I wish I could find that picture. I'd love to show it to you, but I, I just can't find it. I don't know where it's don't at. Don't take oh, too much pictures what? next I time. I it on my Instagram. There we go. Yeah, I have so many. So many. The funniest moment. Oh, man, I don't even know. There's been so many good times and funny memories that I've had as of late. But this puppy, she cracks me up on a daily basis. It's, it's got to be one. I don't know. Claire and I, you know what? This is probably one of my most funniest memories. I didn't know what a duvet cover was. You know what a duvet cover is? A duvet? Uh -uh. You know what that is? So a duvet is like a, a blanket. A duvet. And it's a blanket that goes inside of another blanket and it has a, it's a duvet cover. And I didn't know that. I had no idea about any of it. And she comes in one day and she had just washed the duvet and the duvet cover. And she said, I need to put the duvet back in the duvet cover. And I'm like, I'll do it. And she starts laughing and she walks out of the room and then I'm sitting here now I'm, it's a duvet cover. It's like a bag. And then I have to put the blanket in the bag. And I, I'm like, what the hell sense does that make? It's just like a duffel. I just, I stuffed the blanket inside the duvet cover and it's like a sack. It's just like a fat sack. I'm like, this makes no sense to me. Why am I doing this? And we must've laughed about that. We still laugh about it for 20 minutes at a time because a duvet, you're supposed to put the blanket in and even it out. And then you shake it out so that the duvet cover and the blanket all wrap. And I was just stuffing it. But then in just, there. you're like... <laughs> Right. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work, but that's probably my funniest life memory as of late. But here is that picture. I don't know if you guys can really get a look at it. I can get a pretty good look at it. Yeah, I have a better one. This is off my Instagram, but that was it, man. I collapsed. And of course, that stupid background blur. There we go. Yeah, whatever. Didn't think I was going to make it. And I did. And I was just so damn thankful. I laid there praying to all the gods that exist. Before we end, I want to say I'm very thankful you didn't make it, man. Because, hey, you would have never met me. Uh, these listen. other amazing people that you have on your back. Thanks, man. You are an amazing young man, and I, I appreciate you so much for having me on, man. Of course. And thank you. And before we go, though, is there anything you want to promote or 
Any closing remarks? Frisky Business Cat Cafe, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. We could use all the help we can get. Come check out friskybusinesscatcafe.com. Check out the website. We do uh, weekly newsletters. We do a weekly podcast. We're all about the cats, and we could use all the help in the world to help these cats. Come check it out. It's a great cause, and I greatly appreciate it. Frisky Business Cat Cafe. I'll help you promote that. And Sonny, thank you again, bro. You're a freaking rock star, man. Thank you for playing my songs. I appreciate you. Two great songs. Make sure you guys check out the intro song and the end song if you're not familiar with them already. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Please turn in for another episode coming in very soon. Hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much. Thank you.